Hello, this is a breaking news announcement from the International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State and its affiliate, the International Common Law Court of Justice. It's Friday, December 3rd. This is a report on the ongoing prosecution of Pope Francis, Jorge Bogolio. Breaking news evidence that Pope Francis has been issuing bribes and silencing orders to conceal his dirty wars involvement in Argentina and his cult ritual involvement. The Pope also will convene a coven of the notorious Ninth Circle cult in Rome on solstice December 21st, along with Aboriginal participants from Canada. And finally, in response, there will be an international week of action to end Vatican crimes starting December 18th. And here are the details. From Rome, Pope Francis Jorge Bergoglio has paid bribes exceeding 200,000 euros to conceal his role in the murder of Argentine citizens and his involvement in cultural ceremonies, according to a source within the Vatican College of Cardinals. The same source states that Bergoglio has also issued silencing orders in, to the Vatican assassination agency known as Santa Alianza and its head, Domenico Gianni, in order to destroy witnesses to these crimes in Argentina, Europe, and Canada. These targeted individuals include journalists, former clergy, indigenous activists, and members of our tribunal, including Kevin Annett. According to the Vatican source, over the past five years, Bergoglio has paid to Maxima Zoriagiata, Queen of the Netherlands, a sum of at least 75,000 euros as hush money. Zoriagiata is a fellow Argentine citizen of the Pope's, whose father Jorge, along with Bergoglio, was a member of the inner circle of the military dictatorship then murdered over 30,000 people in Argentina between 1976 and 1983. The Pope also received payments from the Dutch Queen in excess of 128,000 euros during the same period to conceal the Queen's own complicity in the murder of people in Argentina. Now this latest evidence of the Pope's cult culpability in crime comes in the wake of the issuing of an international arrest warrant against Bergoglio for his command responsibility for the genocide of indigenous children in Canada. In response, there is a growing opposition to the Pope within the Catholic Church among Canadian Catholic bishops and the College of Cardinals in Rome, an opposition that is compelling Bergoglio to take desperate and more incriminating measures. For according to the Vatican source, Jorge Bergoglio, in his papal capacity, will convene a ceremony of the child sacrificial cult known as the Ninth Circle. That will occur on December 21st, winter solstice. It will be held at midnight in the sub-basement crypt of the San Lorenzo Catholic Church near to the Vatican. To quote the source, We also have learned that some of the leaders of the Aboriginal delegation coming from Canada will be at the ceremony where several children will die, including at least one Aboriginal child from Canada. The Native Chief's scheduled visit with the Pope on December 20th is a cover for their participation in the cult, which goes back to their years in the Canadian residential schools. Now, first-hand evidence of sacrificial child killings in Canadian Indian residential schools between the years 1929 and 1977 is on record and is on file with our tribunal. Two Dutch eyewitnesses, Tost Nienhaus and Anne-Marie von Bienberg, both observed the present two popes, Jorge Bergoglio and Joseph Ratzinger, participate in the ritual killing of children at separate Ninth Circle ceremonies in Holland and Belgium. Ratzinger in the spring of 1998, and Bergoglio late in the year 2009. 
And all of this and more can be found at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS archives. Well, in response, an international week of action to end Vatican crimes has been called between December 18th and the 25th. It's been called by traditional indigenous elders in Canada. And the events will see Catholic churches everywhere being seized and reclaimed as partial reparations for genocide. The same native elders have prohibited the Aboriginal delegation to go to Rome and prohibited them from meeting with Pope Francis, calling on them to, quote, refuse to help to perpetrate and whitewash the monstrous crimes done against our children and all our people. If the puppet chiefs go to Rome, they will be expelled from their respective nations, unquote. Now, for more information on all of this and how to participate in the Week of Action and more details on this breaking news, Tune in this Sunday, December 5th, to Here We Stand at bbsradio.com slash herewestand, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, and 11 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, or write to ITCCS office at protonmail.com and see murderbydecree.com under ITCC update, updates for this ongoing news. This is issued by the International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State, and its affiliated body, the International Common Law Court of Justice, that is prosecuting Jorge Bergoglio and many others for ongoing crimes against humanity and against children. Issued today, Friday, December 3rd, 2021. Stand by for more. And we're here at Here We Stand. I'm Kevin Annie Eagle, Strong Voice. It's December 5th, and yes, that did go out and caused an amazing response. We've had Promises from people now in five different countries that they're going to help occupy Catholic churches on the starting that week of action, December 18th, and not only occupy them, but seize them permanently, because under international law, a convicted criminal body like the Vatican and these genocidal churches, they've lost the right to operate. People have the obligation, if the police and the courts won't do it, they have the obligation to seize those properties and assets because they're being used for criminal purposes laundering money for organized crime, arms dealing, child trafficking, centuries of genocide. Well, what's interesting when we do that is, and we've got promises now all over Canada as well, the indigenous elders from 10 nations who issued that original call banning uh, Bergoglio from Canada, they're all resolved to carry on the occupations that have already started in native territory all over Canada. Now, there was a lot of stuff in the news about churches being burned down, and, of course, those are provocative stories put out there to make the church um, look like the victim, you know, to arouse sympathy. Just like when the residential school crimes first began to come out, all the churches began wailing about, oh, we're going to go bankrupt from all these lawsuits. One of the richest corporations on the planet, the Vatican, going bankrupt, can you imagine? But, you know, part of that emphasis on the burning of churches is to distract, because we our intention is not to burn anything. We're going to seize them. We're going to seize that property and assets and use it to help the people. And it's interesting, because when that happened, I got a funny email, which some of you know about, a, a call from uh, the Vancouver police. And um, they wanted to know if I had any knowledge of the burning of these churches, and they wanted me to come in and talk to them about it. So I wrote them back a letter. It's posted at um, murderbydecree.com under... Um, ITCCS updates, you can read it. had a lot of fun writing that letter, actually, because it's... Uh, I said, yeah, churches are being burned, probably by victims, because of the unpunished crimes of the Roman Catholic Church, which you guys are aiding and abetting. 
it's, I said to him, it's interesting that you never contact us when it has to do with missing children or the crimes of the church. You only contact us when their property is being threatened. So what are you guys? Is the Vancouver Police the private security firm, firm for the Roman Catholic Church? Of course, we always had that experience whenever we did actions and anything. Um, the police and the Knights of Columbus would show up to bar the door to protect that criminal body. And I used to talk to the police and tell them what they're doing as a crime under the law, protecting a child-raping, child-killing institution. But it's it's interesting. I said to him, come on on the show this Sunday, that's today, and invited the cop to come on the show and talk about these things. And he declined. He never answered me. Surprise, surprise. Well, today we're going to talk about that in more detail. The last half of the show is part of an interview I did with uh, our good brother from England, Owen Lucas, kind of an ongoing series of Interviews that go deeper beneath the surface. Today we're going to be talking about the unseen enemy, how we need to overcome our ego, find the higher commitment that can move mountains, and counting coup and what that means against a bigger enemy, how we can win. Some of it's based on Sun Tzu, some on just basic spiritual understanding you gain over, well, for me, 27 years now. I'm 65, and I began this campaign when I was 38. And you gain a lot of knowledge along the way, but as a veteran, the problem is nobody can understand you unless they've been through it. And so what I thought I would do today before that any brief for the next 20 minutes is read some things that are important to me uh, from my book, Fallen, the story of the Vancouver Four. Now, you can get this, go to murderbydecree.com. You'll see all my books. But this story, Fallen, is about four of my friends, Harry Wilson, Bingo Dawson, Ricky Lavalley and William Coombs, and they were all part of our movement, all survivors of Christian death camps called residential schools, and all took part in these church occupations, and they all died under foul play circumstances. But in order to move mountains, in order to affect change, it's not a matter of using abstract words that don't mean anything. It has to be based on memories, real living memories of people we've known, because they embody the truth more than our second-hand words ever can. So I want to just read to you a few excerpts from this book, which to me speaks a lot about this whole thing we're talking about. And I'm referring in this case to Johnny Bingo Dawson. Now, of course, uh, Johnny, everyone called Bingo, he used to sit out on the corner of Main and Hastings Street. He just lived there all the time. And he was a survivor. He saw children's ki- children killed in the Alert Bay Anglican Residential School where they had him imprisoned. And he helped introduced me to a lot of survivors living on the street. And here are my words. Their faces returned to me at the unlikeliest moments. One night years after they were all gone, Ricky's shy smile loomed suddenly before me again from the day that he and I and Bingo and six others walked down Georgia Street in rush hour traffic with our banner held aloft. Bingo thought it was bullshit to stick to the sidewalks when we had such an important truth to tell. So as the car swerved around us and obscenities rained down on our little group, Ricky turned to me with sad eyes and asked hesitantly, How are we doing, Kev? (laughs) And I yelled back over the traffic, We're doing fucking awesome, Rick! My elation igniting him like a light flicking on in a morgue. Well, oddly, not a single cop appeared that day to confront us as we blocked the downtown traffic and shouted for justice for missing children. But when we returned to the neighborhood later, five cops were there waiting for us. The biggest cop, a lumbering obesity-sporting sergeant chevrons on his sleeve, sauntered over to us and shouted in the face of Bingo, who had led our march, You try that stunt again, and next time your ass is mine. 
Well, bingo, it couldn't take that as an answer. So uncharacteristically angry, he told the cop to back off. He said that we hadn't done anything wrong, that the real criminals ran the churches. The sergeant grinned as he turned on bingo, recognizing him as a local street corner fixture and as one who had taken part in his share of church occupations. And without lowering his voice, the cop said to bingo, just keep it up, asshole. Fuckers like you go missing. Well, six days later, Bingo Dawson was dead. The official death certificate, which it took six, uh, six months to recover, said he died of alcohol poisoning, and yet the toxicology report that went along with the death record said there was neither drugs nor alcohol in his system. But, of course, official lies don't have to be coordinated because those that like to pretend they're in power know that when it comes to an Indian, nobody really notices, nobody really cares. Well, at the time, I didn't think, I didn't want to think that Bingo and Ricky and the rest of us were expendable, marked men. I had lost everyone in my life by then, and without knowing it, the four of them would gain a tighter claim to my heart than the family I had lost, in the manner of those who fight for their lives alongside each other in a desperate battle. But the big cop's eyes showed how much he wanted all of us dead. It was just a matter of time. The arrangement is always made informally through looks that require no words, or a gesture that permits and absolves everything at once. The signal is given and people die. I met a contract killer once during my brief stint as a prison chaplain. He told me how it's done, and how easy it is to do in a place like Canada. The killer's name was Peter Montague, head of special operations for E-Division of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Vancouver, and he had been watching us for some time. His services are called upon by faceless men only when all of their other options are gone. Preferring to wipe out the target's public name rather than make a martyr of them, Montague nevertheless uses last resort measures when a public example has to be made. He'd been a special ops commando before he joined the Mounties, and so he knows the art of silent killing. And so I felt his eyes on us without ever seeing him. For a year before he struck, Montague's people had kept our little group under surveillance. Our naming the names of dead children on the steps of local churches didn't seem to bother Peter Montague, even when an irate Gary Patterson, the normally smug minister of St. Andrew's Wesley United Church, demanded in a frenzied phone call to Montague that he do something about the Indians with placards who kept invading his Sunday services. All of that changed when we began speaking about the missing Aboriginal women, years before it became a fashionable media topic. The threats began. Bingo came to me one morning and said, somebody just told me I'm not going to live to see the new year. Who said that, I replied, looking about. How do I know? He didn't hang around for long. Bingo had just been a guest on my public radio program that was ended the same year that he was. He had spoken at length about the local Mounties who had last been seen driving away with Aboriginal women who had vanished forever. At one point on the show, Bingo had said, I ain't going to say her name, but my friend was held down at knife point by Constable Michelson, who raped her and cut her up. He said she was part of his stable now, and if she told anybody, she'd go missing, just like all the other girls did. You mean RCMP Constable Bruce Michelson, the guy on the Missing Women's Task Force? I asked Bingo. Yeah, that's him, all right. A deep look passed between us at that moment in the co-op radio studio as my technical operator stared through the glass at us with a petrified expression of horror. But now Bingo and I shared the same penetrating gaze as if we were not quite ready to say the obvious. So instead, I tried to make a joke. Second threat this month, brother. 
You think somebody doesn't want us digging up their shit or something? Bingo had grimaced slightly, but said nothing. He just kept casting his eyes about his four corners at the, as the winter traffic threw up dirty snow and dealers stumbled through the muck. And as I followed his gaze, I felt another pair of eyes on me, as surely as if a cougar had watched me from the undergrowth, poised to pounce. Those moments and their fleeting faces merged now into a morass of hasting street-like confusion. But through it all, what matters persists. Before I read you the next one, I wanted to mention that Bingo died on December 9th, 2009. That's very soon. And another victim who died in December was Maisie Shog, kicked to her death by Principal Alfred Caldwell 75 years ago this Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1946. And it was the breaking of that story, told by Harriet Nahani, who witnessed it. The breaking of that story into the Vancouver Sun Press in December 95 is really what broke open this whole story. So we remember this month especially, Bingo and Maisie. The next part of my reading from Fallen, the story of the Vancouver Four. Ricky LaValle knew who had killed Bingo Dawson. He had witnessed his savage beating by three Vancouver cops early one morning in an alley not far from Bingo's four-corner roost. But Ricky kept what he knew to himself at first. Maybe he thought that being known as a compulsive liar, nobody would believe him. More likely, he was just frightened. The truth slipped out of him a month after Bingo's funeral in the depth of winter. Literal night and fog swept around a group of us who were taking coffee and soup out to the diehard homeless guys who refused to camp out in the First United Church shelter where they might get robbed or beaten. Ricky kept hanging around me even as I chatted to an old guy buried in blankets, so I knew he had something on his mind. Finally, I said to him, Let's go get some soup, Rick. We sat in silence after we finished our clam chowder. Guys were huddled out of the cold in the booths near the front of the Ovaltine Cafe, hoping the waitress wouldn't notice them. Rick stared out the window and didn't seem to hear me when I spoke. What? he finally uttered, like someone merging from a dream. I said, what's bothering you, Rick? His eyes filmed over and he shook his head with a look of infinite misery. He stayed quiet for a while. And then he practically whispered, I saw them work over Johnny Bingo. They left him lying there in the gutter. He wasn't moving or nothing. He paused and then added, sadly, I should have gone and helped him. Ricky named all three of the cops who'd beaten, who'd beaten Bingo. They were well-known local thugs, including the sergeant who had threatened Bingo in front of me. He was the one I'd seen that day harassing other natives. Ricky refused to go public what he'd seen but I did. Before it was shut down, I operated a public radio program at Vancouver Corp Radio called Hidden from History. Run out of a building in the heart of Skid Row, its hour every week was like a campfire to which a growing stream of refugees stumbled from out of their own particular night and fog. More of these witnesses began speaking on the air, and the world began to learn of something of the past and present atrocities. And on Monday, February 8th, 2010, our listeners heard from my lips the names and deeds of the three policemen who had killed Johnny Bingo Dawson. An unnatural pause followed my words, which hung in the ether like a sword. Ricky hid out for several weeks, as did Billy Coombs and Harry Wilson. They all avoided me for a time, perhaps waiting to see what would befall me for speaking like that on the air. As for the thing that struck at Bingo through those three cops, it may have been too surprised by our broadcast to do anything, 
but plan how to stop any more such exposure. Our audacity caught even our biggest adversary off guard on more than one occasion. Regardless, the world swallowed down my words and Bingo's murder without a hiccup, and even our own people soon forgot about it and forgot about Bingo. Everything we tried to do was absorbed and dissipated so routinely that to even imagine anything changing seemed ridiculous. But a few of us held out and held on, and we stood alone in the Emperor's arena. We were gawked at even more by the numbed crowd as we awaited the next assault from out of the shadows, foregoing the hope of any kind of final recompense and judgment. And the thing that engineered it all looked on inscrutably. And just on that, it's, it's funny because these days, it feels especially that, once again, I'm in the arena all by myself because everyone who sends in greetings and congratulations won't do anything more than that. They're like the spectators in the arena saying, go get them, Kev. You're the guy taking on the system. Go get them. You're our surrogate conscience, if you like. But, of course, that never works. And people have to unlearn that. And that's what we're here to do. And my final reading... On the streets that became my home, Christmas is never a good time. Suicides and drug overdoses spike through the roof, and hearts sink beneath the pavement whenever holiday cheer or home are mentioned. Something vital gets adulterated by the blaring entreaties for us to be happy and get stuffed, and those of us who retain any of ourselves go into reclusion on every front. As corporatism's chief holiday and icon, Christmas and its promise that if we are good, we'll get all the goodies echoes down the entire year in a single sacrificial refrain. Tailor made for our planet of wage drones, where once the fire god Moloch gobbled up our firstborn children to ensure that the spring would return, now a planetary maw eats all that makes us human in return for, if not springtime, at least plenty of stuff. First down the hatch, goes our capacity to do other than surrender everything to those who seem to know better than we do. Then quickly followed by our own purpose and will, our aspirations and that particular spark granted to us and to us alone. Our bodies go last. And so we learn that once we've genocided our own hearts and minds, killing off other people is not only required, but it's an easy thing to do. Bingo Dawson died just before Christmas of 2009, as his accoster said he would. He was the first of the four to fall. He and I never said goodbye, perhaps because we expected every encounter to be our last. Bingo always seemed more concerned for me than for himself, because he likely knew what was coming. Redemption from the madness was not an option for him or any of them. They were voices from a world blasted to pieces, along with any paltry, self-serving hopes. As for our pale world of adjusted psyches, the finale still seems to await us, even as we lug around our own inner time bombs. What my people harbor cellularly only became known to me once I had been exiled from them and kept apart despite my resolution to return. I sensed it most strongly in the hired guns sent against me and my friends by Peter Montague and the United Church. Whether them or I, some part of the fatal ingredient is in all of us and is awaiting its final moment. And finally, as an epilogue, 
Early on, I built a tomb of the unknown child in my mind, a stark remembrance that we would soon display outside and inside the churches that had murdered so many children. The tomb was not a thing, but names called out, crimes detailed, the guilty identified. In our protests and petitions, we raised the bodies of those battered and betrayed little ones and carried them through the streets of Canada. Bingo and Billy Coombs and the others were the pallbearers for a while until they joined the ranks of the silent legions. But as our procession has continued across time and all the boundaries, we've come to see that the corpse we are raising is actually that of an entire culture. Our campaign has become a single requiem for a fallen people, my people. And so tonight the pavement seems less its old lethal self as I walk where my friends struggled and died and rose again and lent the miracle another brief appearance. Their breath has passed into mine and goes with me now from out of the city of the dead that became a world towards the promise that has replaced it. And in the words of General Joshua Chamberlain, who was a veteran of the Battle of Gettysburg, when he went there 50 years later to the battlefield, he was wondering about his fallen comrades, and he wrote, Have they passed, or will it ever pass? Am I left alone or still with them all? They will come together again under higher bidding and will know their place and name. This army will live on as long as soul shall answer soul. Well, I hope it's touched you in some way. Because if we don't move hearts, minds stay frozen. Initially in a culture like this with the technology to control thinking the way it does, So I'm appealing to all of you now to go deeper into that mind within your own heart and soul that isn't controlled and which can break all the chains. And we're going to talk a bit about that now in this interview I did with Owen Lucas. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, follow all our work, murderbydecree.com, republicofkanata.ca, and you can write to me, angelfire101 at protonmail.com. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. We'll be back. Here's the interview. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I learned, was, you know, an example, I was once down to about 10 bucks, and I had to live a week on that. And I thought, like, how am I going to do that? I was concerned about me, right? And I would pray for help, but it never came because I was asking for it for me. But I, the same day, I met a homeless Native family living under Georgia Street Viaduct in Vancouver. They were just camped up there. They were starving. They had no food. So I gave them my last 10 bucks because they needed more than I did, right? I'm walking down the street about an hour later, and there's a $20 bill sitting on the sidewalk. And, like, it's a symbol, kind of a metaphor for what happens when you forget about yourself. And every day, my concern was towards others. Okay, so money came. Money came for my trips. It always comes when you're not worried about yourself. And you're concerned about the higher things, right? doing what's right, stopping these crimes, helping people. Then that's why I'm alive today. Because if you stay on that good road, then the help always comes. If you go off it and into self-absorption and greed and ego and all that stuff, forget it. Why should the universe help you, right? <laughs> I, 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 I kind of see it like, a, like it's a reward for, uh, you know, turning your back on, on the rotten murderous regime right that you're you're looked after you're nurtured uh because you're important in resisting the uh the horrors right well it's also the law of balance in the universe right you've taken a lot in your life now you've got you it's just 
natural it's not even a moral imperative like there's some father figure saying you're going to get a treat if you do the right thing right that's not it, no. it's it's more like <laughs> it's just what happens naturally like i've been given a lot by the world and now i'm returning but that's the natural ebb and flow of, of chi as as sun tzu says in the art of war chi always seeks the common ground the lowest level the balance to make equal and when you know how to access that chi you can conquer any adversary no matter how big they are and we've proven that again with the Vatican and, and Ratzinger's resignation and all of this babble about apology. That all came out of a spark that started in 1994 in Port Alberni, believe it or not, right? And I don't like to make that boast too much because then people who don't know the history think this guy's just a megalomaniac. But it's all true. It came out of that, that first thing on the west coast of Canada that I was honored to be part of, you know. Right. And, and yeah. uh, again, you know, your, your hand was forced, if, if I'm remembering the situation correctly. And, and you know, they've, they've shot themselves in the foot. They've, they've created oh, yeah. their, their opponent, their, their, you know, powerful adversary, as Eagle Strong Voice uh, has, has become. They, they, they made that to it, or they, they prompted That's you right. to, to do that, right? You know, on, on a, a different set of circumstances, you, you could right. still be you know, with the blinkers on, uh, you know, doing a nine to five for the church, right? Well, I would have left. I mean, (laughs) I would have eventually left, right? Right. But it would have been in a very different way without the impact I've had because, um, you know, I mean, it's it's like we talked about this. Corrupt institutions that are coming down tend to have a death wish. And I think unconsciously these United Church jokers were were doing this because they knew it was corrupt, but they didn't have the guts or the awareness themselves to do it. You know, Kevin's a loudmouth. Let's get him to do it, right? Like, you know, and then we can get rid of him, and he can like what they're trying to do to Bergoglio now. He can be the scapegoat, so the the whole system can keep going, right? But um, they they discredit everything in the process. They lose their their you know, like native people all the time. The Plains Indians, where I grew up, you know, I had Cree and Assiniboine friends, and they talked about their tradition of counting coup, uh, where in battle, the warrior would be unarmed. And he'd go against his armed opponents with only a long stick. It's called a coup stick. I don't know if you've seen it. It's just a long kind of curved stick. And they ride right up into their enemy, dodging bullets and arrows, and they hit them with a coup stick and then gallop away. And that's the way they're saying, I've taken your power because I'm braver than you. I don't have any weapons, and I'm not afraid of you. I'm coming right in your face and going bang, and I'm safe. And usually they were never hit because the energy and the aura around them kept was at a higher level. It said, we've overcome fear. And usually the side that's been cooed loses. And that's what we did when we occupied the Catholic Church. We walked right. in there unarmed and took down their power. We counted coup against them. And they know it. So they're trying to reverse it all the time. You and know, you were, you were saying that the people. cops, uh, the cops in the Vatican just seemed to not even notice you. You know, you had that. Sort of... Every Sunday they were there. The Knights of Columbus at the front door, the cops on the street, barring us from any contact. Every Sunday for months, we show up that one Sunday, and they're not there. March 17, 2008, we're standing there. The door's wide open, and there's no one, no cops, no Catholic goons anywhere. And so I said, I said to Capilano, Squamish traditional elder, I said, man, this is a signal. Let's go. Let's go in, right? Right. With just a stick. Didn't, did you have a stick? <laughs> we were. There were 50 of us. I was the only white guy there, and we were the coup stick in the hands of the creator, right? And all those dead children, right? We just went in there and laid waste to them. And we walked around. I have a film of it. I've got a, 
uh, I finally dug it up. I had lost it for a while, but it shows us walking around and there's this old native guy and he's walking around blessing them all like this, right? This total, it's not even forgiveness. He's operating on a higher level than any of them. He's saying, look, you tried to destroy us, but we're here now to bear witness to the fact that your days are over. And the priest, one priest ran out the back door. The other one physically assaulted me and got me in an arm lock, right? And, and then he left. And the whole congregation stands up as we walk out, as the elders are drumming and everything. We got our banner. All the children need a proper burial. That's when things got turned around on that day because the apology followed, the, the, their bogus Truth and Reconciliation Commission. All these cover-up followed from that Sunday morning. Um, yeah, all, the, all, the, all the pieces fall into place. It's very serendipitous, it sounds. Energetically, right. And they're clumsily trying to counter all that now, but they can't because it's, it's the virus within them. It's going to keep blowing up like that all the time. Um, the week of December 18th, the traditional elders in Canada have said, we're going to start occupying Catholic churches and evicting them. Not only Bergoglio, but all of you out now. Get off our territories. This is ours now. Um, which is the right under international law to do that, a convicted criminal body like the Vatican was. And, and what was, what, can you put your finger on what the specific prompt was or, or um, action was that, that made Bergoglio change his mind? You know, he, he was coming over to Canada, but now he isn't, right? There was the, the, the surface reason and the hidden one. And the surface one was that we had sent, there's a group called the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops in Ottawa. And they were the ones who the Vatican wanted them to extend the invitation to come to Canada, right? We sent them information and we detailed a lot of this new evidence against Bergoglio. We said, your church is being burned. A lot more are going to be burned or occupied and taken. And you guys are going to get arrested if that guy comes here. Look at all the dirt on him. Do you really want to back this guy? And that week, according to our source there, they voted almost three to one to withdraw their invitation. At that point, Bergoglio is in a crisis, and that's why he's invited all these natives. They invited 13. Originally, now it's up to 35. They're bringing native youths over. You know, you're going to have a big, uh, you know, love right. fest in, in Rome saying what a great guy this guy is, is but he's that's all his last defense because his backs are to the wall his own cardinals are against him now he could be uh you know deposed or at least marginalized in some way and that's all because they all know the the crows are coming home to roost they don't know what to do about it I think yeah it's a, between the rock and the hard place for sure I watched um that Russell Crowe film I don't even see it Master and Commander about the, the 17 oh, yeah. it was good good, good movie. One. But uh, there's a bit where the mast falls off, and a couple of the sailors go overboard with the mast, and they're still tied to the the main ship with with the ropes, and they have to make the decision to to cut away kind of the otherwise they're all gonna gonna go down with it, right? And yeah, and I, yeah. I'm I'm guessing that's the decision that they're making at the moment. I, I watched, I think it was a, a Canadian uh, radio show actually. Um, there was a it was an interview with a a Catholic woman, I think a regular member of the of the congregation. And you you could really feel palpably her turmoil, you know, as her identity. Uh, I, I'm guessing, you know, reading between the lines, I'm, I'm guessing she's picking up on this whole toing and froing of whether the Pope's coming over or not, and therefore picking up on the details, you know, that, that you guys have been um, right. disclosing for so long. And and it really uh, hit home listening to her how uh, almost grief struck she was that her 
faith is rotten. Uh, that uh, right. That, well, it, it's coming of age. It's a misplaced faith. It was a faith in the wrong thing. I mean, say Catholics look. The guy's official title is Bakari Christi, which means the one who replaces Christ. Right. Doesn't that tell you something? Right, right there. Doesn't it tell you something? Um, and uh, your example of master and commander, the thing that came to mind is, it doesn't matter if they cut away the rigging, the ship itself is sinking. So it doesn't matter how many things they cut away, they're all going down and they know it. Yeah. Um, but we can't have a false complacency because of that. We have to say, like, we were part of that. We're all part of this whole global system that came out of Rome originally, right? Um, this whole corporatism. And that, that was a Roman model, don't forget. The first corporation in history was the, the Church of Rome. And it was based on the same idea as you get in a corporation. If you're a corporate officer, you're, you're immune. You're above the law. You have limited liability, right? You can do whatever you want and hide behind the corporate shell and you're safe. You can kill people. You can commit genocide. That's why nobody ever goes to trial for these things, right? That whole corporate system now is collapsing. It isn't just one aspect of it. The whole thing is coming down. Yeah. And a new consciousness is being born in humanity, right? Right. And, and the timing, it's, it's all happening all at once, right? It's, you know, it must be like being in a, a building when an earthquake's happening. The, the whole thing is just crumbling around them, right? And I completely take your point that, you know, we mustn't get complacent. But, uh, you know, there's certain facts to be observed that get you at least excited, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't mean to dampen the passion or the excitement. I mean, it's what keeps us going, right? But with our eyes open, knowing that um, we have to say very clearly to people who keep going to those churches, look, you've been serving something that's been corrupt and, and genocidal from day one. And duplicitous. And, yeah, and don't forget, under the law, ignorance of a crime is no defense. Oh, I didn't know my father was hiding a murder weapon in the attic. Doesn't matter. You're complicit. I didn't know the Catholic Church was killing all these children. doesn't matter. Your money is in the collection plate. You're aiding and abetting a crime. And now it's time to leave that sinking ship, people. You know? and, then, and then you've got the life rafts so or the, the, the lifeboats that are, that are leaving the sinking ship. And, and these are the, uh, the seed-funded, crowd-funded corporations, right? So, you know, you look at the Gates Foundation, and then there's all these sort of divisions and substratas of Pfizer and Moderna and uh, AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're, they're going to be, you know, looking to see which one of those they can keep afloat while all these, you know, big ships are sinking, right? Right. Now, on that, I wanted to mention, and this is a whole other front we haven't gone into, but it's very important. Uh, what is the after the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, what is the most lucrative foundation on the planet? It's the Mormon Church. They have assets of over, over 300 billion. Okay. And they are, in a nutshell, the, the Vatican is transferring a lot of us assets into them and into China. You know, what you do when you're, uh, you're facing trial is you, you hide your assets, right? And they're hiding them in the Mormon Church and, the, and, and China. These are the escape um, pods, right? They, this is where they hope to escape to, right? Right. Now, that's why Biden went over on his hands and knees and, and did this fawning act before the Pope, because he doesn't want the Pope to bill and, and go, you know, to China. But the thing about the Mormon Church, I was just talking last night to one of our um, the witnesses who's come forward. The cult activities and the, all of the same stuff that goes on in the Catholic Church is even bigger in the Mormon Church. Um, this woman, Wendy, who I'm going to have on my show soon, she was she was at a ceremony in 1974 where Pope Paul VI was present. He was the one just before the guy who got murdered. 
Pope Paul VI was Cardinal Montini, who created the rat lines that brought all the Nazis out of Europe. Yeah. And um, he was at a ceremony with the top uh, Mormon guy, um, and uh, Hinckley, the guy's name was. And they had a ritual ceremony where they brought in 12 children. And Wendy was raped by this uh, Pope Paul VI. And then they signed a document in their blood together um, as a joint agreement between the two churches. They just opened a, a Mormon temple in downtown Rome, even though the Catholic Church officially says they're a pagan cult and are not allowed to operate. There they are. And we know Ninth Circle ceremonies have been operating in the Mormon Church. So it's kind of their cover to a lot of the Ninth Circle and child sacrificial rituals are, are operating now under the Mormon Church because no one's looking at them. Right. They're just looking at the Vatican now, the big enemy, which it is. But, I mean, don't forget these things have to shift all the time. It's like a serpent. You know, it's got to keep shedding its skin and moving around. And another proof of that is, um, do you remember when I got – attacked by these two guys, um, Sasha Stone and Robert David Steele. Okay, they right. really went after me and called me my rest. That was less than two days after I did the first interview on my show with Wendy and about how the Mormon the Mormons had just gone over to Rome to meet with Bergoglio. Never happened before. The entire Mormon leadership and Russell Nelson, who is, again, another child killer, has been caught in these ritual killings. They sit down with the private audience with Bergoglio, right? And um, it was to talk about this whole ninth circle and financial kind of thing they're working out. Um, and as soon as I talked about that on the air, suddenly they're calling for my arrest. You know, Kevin Adams should be locked up. It's like out of the blue. And these guys have never had anything to do with me before. Right. So we're hitting a nerve, this whole Mormon Vatican connection. You're hitting a nerve. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, from the response that, that you're over the target or whatever the phrase is, because, because oh, yeah. it's, it's kicked up the stink, right? And, and so you, you talk about that uh, chameleon snake, you know, is it, is it this or is it that? I, I've been thinking about it recently in terms of um, a sort of infrastructure, a mountain perhaps, that there's a, a mirage illusion one that, you know, we're presented right. with, you know, the Gates Foundation and then all the other offspring, if you like, that have just listed. But really there are, um, you know, innocent duped people who work in all of those yeah but the real structure the the real um infrastructure and and you know mountain if you like the the, the one that's really pulling the strings uh spans all those borders or, or those right. boundaries or those uh you know corporate frontiers or however you want to say it. and and that you know whether we're talking about the Mormons and the Catholics and the Anglican Church or whatever it is, or whether we're talking about you know various corporations in a, in a similar fashion. There's uh, one <laughs> one one cloak of invisibility for the public, and then the actual this is very Harry Potter right? Right. Uh, actual uh, cult that isn't for the Muggles, you know the the regular rank and file to to know about, but the operatives, agents, whatever you want to call them, within those networks, uh, cult networks, are creating the um, yeah the culture, right? The culture. So, so you hear in the National Health Service over here, the NHS that um, you know there's a, there's a culture of bullying. Nobody is to say that you know the hospitals are empty, that staff members are pretending for the TV cameras to be you know with COVID in beds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Keep your mouth shut. And stick with the program, thanks very much. Well, that's the cult speaking, as opposed to company policy of the NHS, which is the Hippocratic Oath, you know, care for people. Right. So what you were talking about, this entity shifting appearance all the time. I mean, you know, when Jesus says, 
Satan is the father of lies. Like, um, it, it it's a spiritual reality. It's like when they talk about Antichrist, they think the Pope is Antichrist. A place is Antichrist. It, it's the, the seven hills of Rome, and whoever occupies that throne is possessed by it and becomes its its agent. But Legion, it's right? like Legion, the demon Legion. Right. Well, and of course, that was a political comment, a kind of a jab at the Roman Legion at the same time when it was written back then. But um, there was a movie, I forget, it was a Denzel Washington movie where there was this entity, and it kept moving from person to person all the time. There was a, um, a a mass murderer who was electrocuted, but then he left his body and went into the cop standing there. And that by touching somebody, the entity would pass into another body. That's the reality we're dealing with. The enemy is unseen, and we can never see it. Um, and I don't mean this in religious terms, but as in existential terms, right? That it takes various forms. It possesses people all the time. I've seen it possess family, friends, people in authority. They they don't control themselves. Whether it's Bergoglio, Biden. Trump, you know, any of these people, they're they're in a state of possession that they don't realize. And when you're possessed, you become, it's a symbiotic relationship with a possessing entity, and you defend it to the death, and you hate anybody who attacks it. And so good friends suddenly become horrible enemies in that state of possession. That's the enemy we're dealing with, not the latest manifestation of it in the Catholic Church and the Mormon. And, and so how to wage spiritual warfare is a very important personal question, because it's Otherwise, we're led around by the nose. We attack the latest, you know, possessed person, and that's not the issue. The enemy isn't flesh and blood, ultimately. It's, it's that other entity, reality. The, the movie The Matrix kicks in, right? The, the, uh, the Agent Smith can pop into any right. vehicle that it chooses in order to carry out the agenda, right? Absolutely. And the thing about it is that it's forced to expose itself. Do you remember, um, you know, the exorcism I did outside the Vatican? in 2009 and the next day that this tornado hits rome and then that week all of the european press start naming ratzinger as having covered up child traffic and child abuse in the in the church eventually leads to his resignation after our court case well everything stands revealed now and it's not like they say sometimes in movies they they show their agenda no they're forced to because we called it out so look at bergoglio's name B-E-R-G-O-G-L-I-O. Gog, in the Bible, Gog and Magog are named in the book of Revelation. They're the worldly kingdoms that are used by Satan to corrupt and destroy humanity. Okay, so again, they're possessed. Magog and Gog are kings who are possessed by Satan to destroy humanity. There's his name, Gog, right there, bang. I mean, it's for everyone to see. The crimes are right out in the open now. But people are like that, and the blindfold over their heart, they they don't understand, and they can't accept. Let's take that woman you mentioned. She can't accept what's what's going on in her church when she's been possessed from the beginning. She hasn't known it. So, well, it, we, I feel like just, with her that, that it's left her, and and she's got this kind of empty void. A void. Feeling. Yeah, yeah, the void. And then people rush to get possessed again. They say, "Please come back in." Okay. I, you see this in drug addicts all the time, and people. You know, you get over, you go through an NA group, and then they're back in it right because they don't know what it's like to live away from the possessing entity they feel dead but that emptiness is a necessary transition right what they call the dark night of the soul okay it's how you transition right and you got to embrace that pain and loneliness and solitude and fear and agony right and loss Uh, you know once i did i was empowered and um we can't ever go back 
to to that to that state. So this is all part of the whole process, you know. It's, it's amazing. And, and I, f- I feel like this is very much, you know, from a celestial planetary scale too. I, I've been reading about this, uh, you know, the the galaxy is is a spinning dust spiral disk kind of shape. Well, we we as as a solar system, all our planets perpendicularly orbit for twenty four thousand years above it and below it, um, twelve thousand each, and and we're now just arriving back into it. And you know the the mystics and the, and the, the astronomers and astrologers are saying that you know it's it's the the golden age, the age of light, uh, and that dark entities, you know, perhaps these these possession uh, entities that we're, we're talking about here, they just they just can't exist for that two thousand years in the intensive galactic light of the photon belt. Perhaps yeah, there's a lot of a lot of prophecy about that, and of course, the Book of Revelation talks about that too, but. Um... The, the thing about uh, I, my experience of evil is it's never cloaked in darkness, but in light. That's what Lucifer means, being of light. Right. And why does a guy have to go around in a white robe all the time, like Bergoglio, unless he's got something to hide? Do you ever see him in, in you know, blue jeans, standing around talking to the guys? No, it, it's this being of, of, of light, a Luciferian being that has to, you know, beguile and, and, and corrupt and, and fool humankind, right? And you'd think that'd be obvious to people, but they need to, it's that, what you talked about, that childhood dependency. People want that slavery more than they want personal liberation because it's too painful. It's it's that separation that happens, right? It's, uh, it's easier. Easier to yeah. absorb yourself from responsibility and hand it over to the white-robed charlatans, right? That's right. And... They we, they wanted to they want to believe in the lie, and until people get over that, they're servant of the lie and they're complicit <laughs> in the crime. Yeah, as as we reach the hour and begin to close, you're talking about the the white robes. So it makes me think of that great story you said on on one of your YouTube videos recently about some um, wandering spirit, the, the Korean medicine man, and and how um, you know he 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 made that. Uh, stand against the european conquistador invader colonist whatever you want to call it and and wanted to um i'm, I'm guessing from from what what you were saying about it that he, he was making a as loud a statement as he could as as he exited the the 3d realm that that we inhabit right well he you know he was told i know this from his great-granddaughter lillian shirt who's in our documentary on repentance um, she said the grandfather saw a vision where the, the fences were coming down across West, what we know as Western Canada on the Cree territory. And he knew that the white robes and the Hudson's Bay company and the Mounties were responsible. So he went to all of them and he said, get off my land. And they wouldn't. So he shot all of them. He went and just shot them all. And then he and his braves escaped and they're eventually hunted down and hanged. But the point is that, um, he understood he wasn't just speaking for his own people. He said there's this enslavement coming. You see all these fences and walls coming down. Also inside ourselves, the way it kind of we were imprisoned in this thing from, from birth. And he, you know, in, in their worldview, you don't escape from that. But a remnant does, right? A remnant comes out the other end. And uh, we could be, this could be the end. But there will be a remnant of some kind that survives if it's meant to, right? And so I, I don't know. It's, it's a matter of propping up what we have as letting go of it and just letting that higher destiny work through all of us, right? But it would have been pitched against him that he, you know, was 
perhaps possessed by a demon to to kill other people, right? So so they they eventually got him in the end, right? And and they would oh, have well, yeah, they would that, have that's like the that's like the pot calling the kettle black for them to right. accuse him of violence and terrorism. But I mean, he was just doing traditionally what his role was, just like Earl George, defender of the land, uh, called out his own chiefs. The same kind of people are going to Rome now to kiss the Bugolio's ass in public. You know, he just called them out and he drew a line and that's why they got rid of him. Because, I mean, that's the fate of any traditionalist, but more of us have to get together and share that energy. And I feel it happening, but like I say, the, the problem now is that people don't know the whole history and the whole, they don't know what they're dealing with. And that, like Sun Tzu says, if you don't know your enemy, it's fatal. If you don't know yourself, it's even more fatal, right? You'll lose every battle. So knowing ourselves and what we're facing, what we're part of is the first essential thing. Right? And, and Wandering Spirit, the, the Korean medicine man, his, his vision, his prophecy was that the walls come tumbling down. Was yeah, he said that that the whites, he didn't call them whites, um, they had a name for it, uh, Muniash. The Cree word for white was Muniash, which means shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, the Muniash will come, they'll destroy themselves and go, and then the land will come, the, the buffalo will return and the, the land will be, come back to the people. And right. he, he just said, we're going to wipe ourselves out. So, and, and, and and interesting you know, it's, it seems now which whichever way they turn now, they're they're shooting themselves in the foot. You know, the, the earthquake house yeah. is 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 crumbling in on on top of themselves. I'm 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 wondering if you put a date on it. <laughs> Did you say no. <laughs> well, like you say, the, like you can't know the time and place. It's going to happen on its own. But I mean, um, he had an, the the final part of his prophecy was he told all of his descendants that. Um, through his son, Windy Boy, who had to flee down. His whole family fled down to Montana because the Mounties were going to hang all of them. And um, from there, he said, you have to flee to the mountains. When the Muniash are dying, flee to the mountains and bring rope with you. That's bring rope? Rope with you? Rope. Rope. And I, well, Lillian interpreted that as meaning it's going to, the waters are going to rise, right? Um, and it's interesting because now in British Columbia, all three highways have been destroyed by massive flooding. The whole city of Vancouver is closed off. The port, for the first time in history, the port is closed down. You can't get food in or out of the city. Massive flooding. And I don't know if that's a sign at the beginning or anything, but the, the, right over Kamloops, where the kids were found, that mass grave that they're destroying now, was last summer was the hottest place on the planet. There was this massive heat umbrella right over Kamloops. Just like the the the, the 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 hurricane that hits Rome, right? Right. The tornado, but but After also the the signs of nature, right? As as well though, you know, what sprung to mind as you were saying that is that you know they can do this weather manipulation and ha- have done for approximately a sure. hundred years, being able to to manipulate weather and and if they are back to the wall, you know, last ditch effort, then you know perhaps they they bring yeah. you know the weather crumbling in on but, on on the people that look right. to so, prosecute them. Yes, but who is they when you say they are manipulating the weather? It's not the people in government or the corporation right. or the church or anything. It's the entity controlling them is doing that. And but, I very much true humans, right? They're, they're possessing – the human vehicle is in, involved, right? It's, it's necessary, but it isn't the only one, right? I mean, you know, th- this is a whole, requires a whole other show where you talk about my experience of <laughs> right. exorcism rights. But uh, let's do that sometime. Be fun okay. to get into that. Yeah, we'll, we'll call it quits okay. for the hour.
For sure. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Steve. You all. all the best. Cheers, Kevin. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Cheers.